Pop Talk and Aliens, the William Clear Podcast. Much like an angel that comes down to earth to give you the gift of eternal life, the cost of which is only the fact that you can never go out into the sunlight again, she has come down to give us something that is free of charge. We can go out into sunlight again because we will know the truth, and that is that I am William Clear. This is Pop Talk and Aliens, and it is a podcast. In this episode, we're going to talk about William Shatner. William Shatner's been in the news because he should be, as always, but for this time, it's because he's going to space. Kind of. We'll talk about his trip up to space, and I'm going to tell you some stories about William Shatner from his uh, trips on Earth. Uh, We will laugh with him. We will laugh at him. He should have it no other way. 90 years this man has been been giving us nothing but entertainment at, at the cost of his own self, and and intentionally let's celebrate it here i did do a william shatner episode of it wasn't an episode it was like a live stream and i did it at the beginning of lockdown of covid way back then so it was like i don't know whenever that was the 80s it wasn't a real episode though it wasn't on the feed and all that so this one you know a little slicker a little more linear and uh, we'll we'll enjoy some of the shatman because, let's face it, he's not going to live forever. I mean, he well, he might. He might. He's certainly going to live. He's got another 40 years. He's going to outlive us all. But you know, he's not probably going to be live, for, live forever. Unless an angel gave down, came down from the heavens and gave him the gift of eternal life, the cost of which is only the fact that he can never go out in the sunlight again. Why do I keep saying that? Because I'm also going to talk about the Netflix show Midnight Mass. Because I found it fascinating. But I, it left some questions and, and some, some lingering thoughts that I have about it. So I want to talk about that show. Spoiler heavy. So if you haven't seen the show, I'll tell you when that's coming. If you have seen it, perhaps you are like me and you have similar questions. And if you don't care about it one way or the other, or then I just you do what you want to do. And lastly, we're going to talk about aliens on the moon. Just a little bit. Because look, the, the, the whole Navy UFO thing, it, it's... We've talked it out. We, we've hashed it out to every... Uh, we've looked under every rock. I've talked to experts. We've we, It's done. Until something new comes, nothing left to talk about in that department. So let's we'll talk about aliens on the moon because it's... Look, the moon doesn't get any lip service anymore with aliens. Because it's now, it's like, do they come out of the ocean? Do they come out of another dimension? Do they come from... Uh, are they us? That All that stuff, which is all... Hey, you know... Why not? But the moon, no lip service, no no recognition. So we'll we'll talk about that. The first thing I want to talk about, but I should tell you first off, that if you want to follow the show, at Pop Talkin' Aliens on Instagram. Instagram at Pop Talkin' Aliens. That is the home base. That is the moon of this show. If you want to connect, please do so there. Uh, There is a Facebook page which is facebook.com slash pop talk aliens. But I, you, you know, feel free to give it a like, but do understand that Facebook will never show you anything that I post on that page because it's Facebook and nothing that's posted on that page is uh, designed to outrage you or to upset you or to make you depressed or angry or hate people. So because of that, you will not see it. Pop talk and aliens on Instagram. You can also visit poptalkingaliens.com for access to every single episode of this show that ever lived free of charge. 
Speaking of free of charge, no sponsor right now. Now, you know what happened? Uh, they changed the, the whole way it works with the, the sponsor I had. And, and it was like I could get back with them, but I had to go through this whole process. And I was just like, you know what? Fuck you, corporate media. All I care about is that you're listening. That is sponsorship. That is the gift. You know, if I don't make a couple of bucks fucking banging the drum for audiobooks, then so be it. It's fine. If I really wanted to make money podcasting, I would be doing five shows a week, 15 minutes each, where I read you an article and then made a couple of jokes and comments on it and then asked you what you thought to put your thoughts in the comments so that I would get engagement rate. Yeah, that's, that's, that's what they do. Um, you know, or if I was famous or if I had famous guests, then you'd listen just because you, you liked me or you liked the guest or whatever. But in this case, look, I do a show every six weeks and I'm throwing in William Shatner and Netflix show fucking aliens on the moon. It's you, you either you're here for every few weeks or you're not. But the next episode, it will not be a few weeks because Charlie Crabtree will join me for the Halloween episode. Yes, folks, it is Halloween time, which means that I'm going to say that word like that a lot. It also means that Halloween Kills is coming to theaters next week. Charlie and I will we'll see that movie. We'll talk about it on our Halloween episode. I'm so excited for it. It's like goddamn near like a Star Wars movie for me, those fucking Halloween movies. I love them so much. Can't wait. So that'll come, that'll come really soon. But until then, this episode. However, speaking of movies that have just come out, I did see the new Bond movie today. And let me tell you something. Fantastic. Great time at the theater. There, there's a, and, I, and I haven't been to a theater since when did the COVID lockdown start? I think the last movie I saw in the theater was fucking Gone with the Wind. So finally, in a movie theater, you know, actually, I, I do think that the last movie I saw in a movie theater was probably Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker. Unless I saw some other random movie, like, shortly thereafter. That was probably the last one I, time I've been in a movie theater. So it was, it was great. It was great to, to be out and do that. And it's a great movie. And there's a lot of chatter online, mainly YouTube. The same YouTube people that it always is, which I'm going to talk about for a second, too, before I get into the Midnight Mass thing. Uh, YouTubers saying that... There's like some sort of agenda or something in the Bond movie. I haven't watched the videos, but I've just seen that there's that, that has been running around. Let me tell you honestly, okay? Because I know that there is a, a wide variety of beliefs and opinions and thoughts uh, that come from you that are listening. I, I see, you know, you on Instagram, and I know that there are people of different stripes, different thoughts, different feelings. I will give this to you straight. I would not lie to you. I am an idiot when it comes to movies, and I do miss a lot. However, I am capable of seeing when Hollywood is trying to throw an agenda into a movie where that agenda does not belong. And I can tell you very plainly, that's not happening in this James Bond movie. I don't know even where that comes from. It's a fucking James Bond movie. No different from the rest in the sense that it is about James Bond, it is about bad guys. It's about him uh, and, a, and a villain, and and there's and there's women, and there's cool gadgets, and his car does awesome shit, and Hans Zimmer scored the fuck out of it, and Johnny Marr plays the James Bond theme. What else do you want? That that's what it is, and it's great. It's 
wonderful send-off for Daniel Craig. As usual, he crushes it. All the acting is great. Great special effects, great music production. The whole thing's great. It was worth waiting for. I'm glad I saw it in a theater and that, you know, I didn't I didn't stream it at home or something that they didn't put it out on on something else. It was nice to to wait and see it. So if you love Bond, you're going to love this. There's nothing weird in it. I don't even know where that comes from. Well, I do know where it comes from. It comes from YouTubers. There's something I have to tell you about the YouTubers, because I talk about Star Wars fans on this show all the time, and I'm always mad about them, and I hate them, and I want to gatekeep them, and I want them to go away, and blah, blah, blah. I've done it a million times. I've done it since the fourth episode of our show, which was the first time uh, Mr. Crabtree graced the studio. I think we were in, like, his wife's mom's basement or something. But whatever, back in those days. We, we talked about Star Wars fans hating each other, and ever since, I, I always go on about it. And the reason is, is because I have allowed my YouTube timeline to become riddled with uh, Star Wars haters. You know, people who just get tons and tons of clicks on outrage clickbait headlines, and then talk outrageously about how bad Star Wars is now and Disney Star Wars. And, and I hate them, and um, it's not healthy that I hate them, and it's not healthy that I see this stuff. It doesn't enrich my life, it doesn't make me happy, it makes, it, it does the opposite. It's a fucking negative element in my life that I'm not doing anything about, that I'm participating in. So I decided, uh, how about, what if, <laughs> just as a goof, I went through my timeline and started clicking not interested, don't recommend this channel, don't recommend videos like this, I don't like this video, over and over and over again on those things until they slowly started to drop off my timeline. And they did. My feed, whatever you want to call it, whatever it is on YouTube, on the mobile YouTube app, I don't see these fucking people anymore. I succeeded in changing the algorithm. Pray I do not change it any further get it because Darth Vader um but what happened is so, so now all I see is like you know UK soldier reacts to US military force and Michael Jordan highlights and uh, hey look at this uh, guy stealing signs in Major League Baseball and, and, and just <laughs> uh, FIFA tips Far Cry 6 walkthrough you don't need it and then aliens all kinds of alien shit too but you know you know whatever the point is, none of that stuff is negative. It's all just fun, good shit. And the conclusion, which I'm sure you're very ready for, is if I come on this show again, be it with Charlie, be it with someone else, be it by myself, complaining about Star Wars fans, that means that I have gone and sought out their video, watched it, clicked on it, looked in the comments where, where everything that's where it really goes on, goes down is the fucking comments and and that's on me that's not on them they didn't come to my house that's completely on me i was responsible i am accountable and uh if you hear that shit from me again then it's my fault it's my fault it's not their fault and i have no right to tell them to do anything because they haven't done anything to me i went and found them so that's my big life-changing thing. 
Uh, that is the reason why I haven't done a podcast in several weeks. <laughs> it's not. It's just I moved and there's all kinds of things have been going on. Actually, it hasn't really been that long, but whatever. Let's talk about Midnight Mass on, on Netflix. This show, I know the, the Squid Game thing is the big thing on Netflix, but for me, it's just, I saw that Midnight Mass was created by Mike Flanagan, who did Haunting of Hill House, was a sh which was a show that I did binge and I loved. And I saw that this was a, a limited series. Seven episodes contained no season two, just this is it. So I started it out and I was fucking riveted. Annihilated the show in a couple of days, which is what I always do, which is why I don't binge shows. Start calling in sick to work and stuff like that. Um, and it was a fantastic show. If you haven't seen it and you don't care to, I'm going to, I'm going to talk about it for a little bit and you'll know what it's about. If you intend to watch it, I would definitely skip forward a few minutes because I'm going to go heavy on spoilers. I'm going to talk about it as if you, the listener, have seen it or don't care. So Midnight Mass is a show about this creepy island that, uh, you know, Fisherman's Island, down on its luck, no fish, there's been all kinds of oil spills and shit like that. And this preacher comes to town. And, and he's replacing the, the preacher that they've known their whole lives and they've grown up with. And uh, he says it's because uh, that guy got sick and he'll be back soon. But, you know, until then you get me. And then he is like, uh, he's captivating and he's riveting. And then all of a sudden, these fucking miracles start happening. And there's a lot of other stuff going on in the show too. But just for the sake of, you know, I'm, again, I'm assuming you've seen it. These miracles start happening. This girl that was in a wheelchair, she gets up and walks. This other old woman with dementia, she starts de-aging and turning into like, you know, this hot version of her young self and, uh, and stuff like that's happening all over the place. Then the guy, the priest, Father, well, his, his name is Father Pruitt because Father Pruitt was the old preacher that everybody knew. Turns out, so is this guy. Why? Because, as I hinted at earlier... An angel came down and granted him eternal life. Kind of. What would happen is he went to Jerusalem and he had dementia and he was he shouldn't have been there. He shouldn't have, you know, he should have been at home being taken care of. And he and he wandered into this cave, and this thing that with wings that he thought was an angel sucked his blood out. And then put his own blood into back into the priest, who who then became a young version of himself, and then went to the island pretending to be somebody else. And then there's this the, another main character who killed someone in a drunk driving accident right at the beginning of the show, and he's back on the island after being in prison for four years, and he starts having these AA meetings with, with the priest, which are, are really well done. Anyway, this guy, all of a sudden, he's performing all these miracles and stuff, and then all of a sudden, and miracles are happening. He's not like performing them, it's, they're just, they're happening. And all of a sudden, he just, he fucking dies. He keeps getting sick, and then he, and then he dies. He walks into this room, and he just fucking dies on the floor, and he starts, like, throwing up blood. And then he comes back to life. But now that he's come back to life, he can't go in the sunlight anymore. And he becomes thirsty for blood. So he's, he's a vampire, right, obviously. He's a classic vampire. And, and then he decides, he gets, he gets crazed, and he accidentally, kind of accidentally kills this dude, and he eats all his blood, and 
after he, he he's eaten all the blood, he, he starts freaking out looking for the uh, the angel that came to see him in Jerusalem because it turns out he smuggled that a, that angel, which it's a vampire. It's not an angel. He thinks it's an angel. He smuggled the vampire over to the island, and finally the vampire comes out and like gives him a, a fresh supply of blood, and now he's all good again. But he still he still he can't go outside. He's and, and he's so he's a vampire, but now he has eternal life. Whereas before he had been given the gift of youth and restoration, but he wants resurrection, right? So now he gets to come back to life. But the, the thing is, it doesn't make any sense to me. And I'm just, I'm wondering, and I know that this isn't a call-in show where someone can call and answer me, but I'm just, for your own thoughts, if you've watched this show, I don't understand why he died to begin with. Because he literally just starts getting sick. And then he walks into a room with some people and he fucking dies. The only theory that I could come up with was that the, there's this weird assistant that he has, right? She's a bitch. She's constantly quoting the Bible. Like, she, you know, she wants to force the Bible down everyone's throat. She thinks that God loves her more than anybody else. She's just, she's a fucking raging bitch. She poisons this dog. And there's all this, this, this there's many references to how she's just a big fan of poison. So my only thought was that she poisoned the priest to see if he would come back to life or something like that it's the only thing that makes sense to me because she likes him like at first she doesn't like him when he comes in because she doesn't like anybody but then she grows to think you know the miracles and maybe he's the second coming or whatever so she i guess it's her kills him and then he comes back to life but now he's got to drink blood now he can't go in the sunlight so the midnight, they, all the daily mass has to turn into a midnight mass. So everyone's got to go to fucking church at midnight because you can't go outside. They don't know that, but yeah, that's what happens. So he, he gets this big plan together that he's going to give everyone this eternal life by having that fucking creepy vampire, quote unquote, angel come into church on Easter and, and everyone's going to gonna drink poison, like, like Jonestown, and then they're all going to be restored because they've all been drinking communion wine, which is where he's been putting the blood of the vampire. So that's why they've been healing. And now they have all the healing blood in them. And now when he kills them, they'll already have the blood in them, so they'll wake up alive with eternal life. Ah, but they can't go outside and they're going to be thirsty for blood all the time. So, as often is the case when you try to give people eternal life, it backfires. And he gets shot by the aforementioned uh, elderly woman who had dementia who turned into a, a, a young woman. She, she shoots him, and then while he's down, I mean, he's going to come back to life, but, while he, but you know, he's got it, it takes a few minutes. While he's down... Everyone that has just drank poison in his church turns into these raging vampires and they just start, start eating each other. They're drinking, they're eating, you know, eating the blood, drinking the blood, sucking their necks and everything. And then they go around raging through town doing this. And this guy's out for the count. And <laughs> I, I don't understand. It was so riveting and good that I liked it anyway, but I have no fucking idea why he didn't just let these people continue to enjoy the benefits of the blood because when you're when you're on the blood and you haven't been poisoned then all that happens to you is that you feel better 
you get younger, you don't need glasses. If you, if you were paralyzed, you can walk. If you had a bad back, you can do whatever you want. Uh, you get young. That's it. It's, it's all good. But then he died for some reason. And then everyone else had to die so that they could be like him. I don't get it. And this may sound to you and probably is just me ranting. But I'm saying it because I know it's a very popular show. So I'm hoping that many of you have seen it. And I'm just wondering, do you have these same questions as I do? Let me know at Pop Talking Aliens on Instagram if you want. Because it just, everything about that show was so good. It just didn't make sense that the priest walks into a room and fucking dies. And then now he gets to be a vampire. And then he wants everyone else to be a vampire. But then at the end, of course, he regrets it. But it's too late. Everyone's going to burn up in the sunlight because that fucking bitch, the poison chick, she burnt the fucking town to smithereens because she's trying to, like, initiate revelation. So there's no one, there's nowhere for anyone to go to hide from the sun. They all burn up in the sun. The end. And this, the main girl, like, she manages to clip the wings of that demon vampire angel so he can't fly out of the sunlight either and, and he burns up and dies too so everyone's dead the end that's midnight mass that's a lot of time spent on that show just wondering things i get it i get it but you know it's an interesting show uh if you like horror if you like vampires if you liked haunting of hill house you'll enjoy this but if you've already listened to this you won't enjoy it as much because now you know but but if you if you still watch it you've heard this and you still go watch it Please pay close attention to why he starts getting sick and then just dies for no reason. Walks into a room and fucking dies. It doesn't make any sense to me. Could have just enjoyed the blood. Guys could have been drinking that fucking blood till the end of time. But I mean, not the end of time because they wouldn't have had eternal life. But they just would have had really good lives. Anyway, that's, that's Midnight Mass for you. Let's talk about William Shatner. So William Shatner is going on uh, Jeff Bezos' uh, spaceship in a few days now. We're at, we are, uh, what day is it? October 12th? October 10th? Hopefully this will get out by the 10th, maybe the 12th. So we're right, we're right there. And William Shatner is going to go into space. But here's, here's the thing. He's going to go high enough to achieve weightlessness. So it's, I looked this up and there's a lot of debate about the terminology of like space versus outer space and things like that. So let's just say he's going into like the very high upper reaches of the atmosphere. And when he gets there, there will be weightlessness and he will have somewhat of an experience of space. But if you listen to William Shatner talk about it, I, I, I hope his expectations are not too great because he sort of talks about looking at the moon the way one would if they were on the international space station and you look at the 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 world and it's just a big you know obviously flat thing that you can see from it wouldn't be great if uh if someone had just zillions of dollars and they just kept paying for flat earthers to take trips up there just to fuck with them yeah take a trip on jeff bezos thing well it's not far enough 
to where they could see that it was round. So they would, they would probably just think that it proved their theory. So yeah, forget about it from the flat earth. But anyway, William Shatner is not going to be able to look through the window and see like the small marble of earth that's floating away from him. They're not going that high, but he is going into space. Technically William Shatner, finally captain of this, of the, of the star Trek. And look, William Shatner, like I said, in the beginning, he's one of the most entertaining human beings, in my opinion, to walk this earth for the last 90 years. Uh, he is one of how many people are, are still alive that were on Star Trek? It's him, Michelle Nichols, who played Ahura, Walter Koenig, who played Chekhov, whom I once uh, got an autograph from at a little tiny store called Starbase in 1979. It was located in Mountain View, and it was a science fiction shop. And Walter Koenig was appearing there after Star Trek The Motion Picture. And somewhere in a photo album, I have a Polaroid of me and Walter, and he is wearing the most 70s fucking outfit you could ever imagine. And I am wearing a Star Trek The Motion Picture t-shirt with a bowl cut, Joey Lawrence style. Anyway, he's alive. Michelle Nichols is alive. Shatner is alive. Um, and Sulu, George Takei. Those are the, the only ones left. Spock, Leonard Nimoy, uh, no longer with us. James Doohan, he had his ashes blown into space. So he got to space before Shatner, but, and he's like, went to space space. We've talked about that on the show before. So did Gene Roddenberry, the creator of Star Trek, his ashes are in space. Um, I hope to have my body shot into space, preferably not ashes though, whole or chopped up so that I can be reanimated by aliens. I'm reusing a joke that I used on this podcast before, but, um, you know, the possibilities are endless when your chopped up body is floating through space. Anything can happen. You reach another world, they turn you into a superhuman, send you back here. You can make a movie out of that. Nevertheless, uh, their, their, their dead cells went to space, but William Shatner will go into space partially living. So there's three Star Trek people left, and then plus William Shatner's four. And of those three... Uh, George Takei hates him more than anything. Anyone who follows this kind of stuff knows how much George Takei fucking hates William Shatner. Walter Koenig also does not like him, but at least about, I think, 10 years ago now, it's like nine or 10 years ago, William Shatner had this show called Raw Nerve on USA, where he it was a talk show where people go sit and talk with William Shatner. And Walter Koenig actually went on and like aired his grievances with William Shatner on the show. And William Shatner very receptive to it. And and he didn't really understand why he acted the way these co-stars that didn't like him described, which was basically that he would kill their shots, you know, meaning it would be like, "Hey, wh wh why are we doing why are we doing a setup, you know, putting the can why are we doing a setup for Chekhov?" Why does he need a close-up? Action's going on over here. Kirk, Spock, come on. You waste your time with this. And it, to, to him, he was just, it was just the, the creative process. And hey, you know, this is where the action is. Let's keep it on that. And he never thought about the fact that like, hey, these guys want their moment in the sun also. And let me play you. Let me play you a clip of Walter Koenig talking to William Shatner about this and William Shatner's... <laughs> 
completely fucking Shatner-esque response. There was a, a self-involvement on your part. Where was the guy who was supposed to be the leader of the troop? I mean, you were, you were, you know, you were outspoken and you had strong opinions and you were very creative and uh, you did awfully good work. There's no question about that in my mind. But where is the guy that was supposed to be also the guy that we could go to, you know, our friend? And we never felt that way. Well, and, and now that you talk about it, uh, that resonates with me. That absolutely resonates with me. And I don't know why, because the man that I am now is m much more inclusive. It could have been that I was so uh, caught up in the uh, playing the lead in this thing that had so many words and there was so much time and all that kind of thing. All those kinds of excuses. But now that I hear you and I hear the human wail of what about me coming from the young actor, what about me makes me cry inside for you and regret with all my heart that I never reached out to you guys and put my arm around you and said, you guys are great. This is a wonderful show. I'm so happy to be here with you. I'm so glad to be working. I'm so glad to, I hope we make another movie together. And two years later we would after they destroyed the sets. I am so sorry that I wasn't capable then of doing that. But for many years, if I was that person, which I think I was, the one you're talking about. I didn't kill shots, but I wasn't aware of the humanity of your situation. I mean, I should have been, but I wasn't, because that wasn't me then. I was so caught up in divorce and three children and making a living and trying to get this work done and wondering what's going to happen and all the things that I don't need to tell you about that we all have. So this attitude robbed you of the few moments you had. Yeah, well, you know, you make it sound so well, theatrical. I mean, well, well is, I mean, is that too harsh? No, no, it it's isn't. It's not harsh enough. <laughs> <laughs> no, it isn't. No, it's okay. It's a good, it's a good, it's a good way to describe it. Theatrical indeed. I mean, what it, and what did Walter expect, honestly? Uh, I don't think William Shatner and Walter Kinney became friends as a result of that conversation, but I, I, I do think that the that there is a little less hot sauce on that relationship. Now, George Takei, who, who said that William Shatner was an egomaniac and, and would treat you nice only if the press was around, he would not... He was offered to go on that show. As a matter of fact, Howard Stern offered to do a mediated... Like conversation, debate, confrontation, whatever you want to call it, between William Shatner and George Takei, and he would mediate it. And William Shatner wanted it to be on his talk show, and George Takei said, "I'm not coming on your turf." And Howard Stern said, "We could do it here, whatever." And it 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 never panned out. But I to give I'm going to give points to Shatner on this one because he was very much willing to do it, and George Takei wasn't. And Obviously, William Shatner is a fucking egomaniac. And I'm sure that everything Walter Koenig said about him cutting people's lines out and stuff like that was totally true. But when it comes to, you know, being willing to, like, talk it out, William Shatner has said many times about George Takei, 
at one point he said, look, we're, 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 we're so old. We're both almost going to be dead. Can, can we not just stop this? But George Takei found a new fame in that. His whole like, oh my, that, that thing, that came from him being on Howard Stern. And the reason that he got popular from that is because when he, he went on Howard Stern decades ago, started complaining about William Shatner, and then the oh my, and all that stuff started happening. And then Howard Stern had him on his show as like a, as like a, a like a an Ed McMahon type character. If you ever remember who Ed McMahon is, if you're old enough, it's like the like a co-host introductory guy, guy who introduces people and stuff. That was George Takei. So George Takei gets fucking famous for that, and and he's just gonna milk it because that's what he's got. He's got nothing to go on. He's not in anything. He's not doing anything. So for the last 25 years, he's been running on fumes of, I hate William Shatner. And when his star starts to wane again, he starts complaining about William Shatner again and, and everything heats up. Michelle Nichols, Uhura, had many problems with Shatner, but she confronted him directly about it. He was writing a, a, a book about Star Trek or you know, he was, he, he was going around interviewing people so that someone else could write a book about Star Trek. And she said straight up, this is what we hate about you. And she went through the list and they had their issues, but they, she does not hate him. She, she is strong enough to just say to his face, look, dude, this is my fucking problem with you. You know, now, you know, knock that shit off. And apparently she was from the stories that have been told by the actors and stuff. She was really the only one to ever do that on set. That she actually would stand up to him on set and be like, Bill, this is my shot. I get this shot. Ohura gets this moment. And he would be like, oh, I didn't, I didn't realize it, Michelle. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. Of course. Of course you should have your moment. I'm so sorry. I would never do anything to hurt you. So it's, that's a, not a good William Shatner. And uh, turns out, I'm just going to segue out of that for a second. Talk about William Shatner imitations. It's nobody really does a good William Shatner impression. William Shatner impressions are caricatures and they're hilarious, but they aren't really imitations. There is an understated version of William Shatner as well. Like he he can play it low when he needs to. If you ever watch Boston Legal, he did it all the time. His acting was fucking great on that show. And his acting as Captain Kirk was great. Because if you have if you think about what Star Trek was, it, it was a very cerebral show. They didn't have a lot of special effects. <clears throat> and what special effects they did have were embarrassing even for the time. So it was a, it was a plot-driven, character-driven show that was very serious. And the second lead character was a guy who had no emotion. So what are you going to do if you're tasked with playing the role of the captain of that ship? They tried a pilot with Jeffrey Hunter, the, who played Jesus Christ himself in uh, King of Kings. And he played this serious thinking man's captain, and it didn't work. So they, they, they said, let's do another pilot with, uh, with Bill Shatner. And Shatner came to play. He came with all the Shatner stuff. He came with all the Captain Kirk things, and it was the appropriate thing to do. Now, does he do it too much? Yes, but he also makes fun of it. 
And I'm going to play you now a clip of William Shatner reacting to different impressions of him. That's what war is all about. That's what makes it a thing to be avoided. That's what war is, Councilman. That's what makes it a thing to be avoided. You've made it neat and painless. You've made it neat and simple. So neat and painless, you've had no reason to stop it. So neat and simple that you've had no reason to stop it. And you've had it for 500 years. And you've had it for 500 years. <laughs> See, Seth MacFarlane's very funny. He's a very funny man. Every so often, comics tell a joke in a club, and the joke doesn't go over, and they say, yeah, well, I'm here until Thursday or something like that. That's what Seth needs to have done on that impression. I'm here until Thursday, folks. Thank you very much. My favorite William Shatner impression that I can do, and it's not really an impression. Again, it's just a character, but it's this. I think I've done this before on the show, but uh, it's Star Trek Three, and <laughs> I'm going to do two of them for you. They're both from that movie because he's really in rare form in Star Trek Three. Uh, it's the one where Spock just died, and in Star Trek Three they're looking for him. So like, like Kirk is just not in a good emotional place, and then they kill his son, and this is what happens: he's on the ship. And his son's down on the planet, and there's Klingons there. And, and a Klingon kills his son, and then the Klingon gives the radio to, to Savik, who's a half Romulan, half Vulcan, and, and, and he says, you know, Kirk says, like, what happened? And she says, Admiral, David is dead. Shatner takes a step back. He reaches for the captain's chair. He falls. He can't find it. You Klingon bastards killed my son. Klingon bastards, you killed my son. And then he rises. You Klingon bastards. Now that was a horrible imitation in terms of tone and sound and pitch, but that was how he said those lines. The other great, another great moment from that movie is he goes down in the beginning because Spock has transferred his consciousness into Dr. McCoy, which is how they eventually get Spock back to life. Um, and when Kirk first realizes that something's wrong with Bones, he goes down and, and Bones is sitting in Spock's quarters and he goes, uh, climb, here's the worst imitation ever. Climb the steps, Jim. Climb the steps of Mount Salaya. Bones. Mount Salaya's on Vulcan. We're home. On Earth. Remember, and then McCoy collapses into his arms, and he says, "Or get the medics down here. Get them now." And I'm not even exaggerating the amount of time he pauses between saying those two things. It is fantastic, uh, for the wrong reasons, but also for the right reasons, because at, at this point he has established that that's what Captain Kirk is, and if he had played under it, it just wouldn't have worked. So there you go. But he also, he makes fun of himself doing that all the time. And that is where he kind of became so lovable to America. And it all started in Airplane 2. In Airplane 2, he plays like, it's just like the first Airplane where at the end, somebody has to be brought in to help Robert Hayes land the ship. And in Airplane 2, it's William Shatner. And he's like this military guy. And he's, and he's just completely doing a fucking riff on his own shtick, and it is hilarious. And he just continued to do that throughout the years, where, you know, he 
pops up in in everything. There's a movie with uh, Eddie Murphy and Robert De Niro. I forget what it's called. It has some generic title, but like they're cops and they're going to be on a reality show or something. So they bring in William Shatner because he was on TJ Hooker to teach them TV cop stuff. And it's it, it is hilarious. Okay, let's taste some drugs. Hooker's got a bag of white powder in his hand. Spears it open with a pocket knife. Takes his little pinky in the powder, and he touches it gently on his tongue. Watch the eyebrows. Hooker knows it's cocaine. Hooker. He just refers to the character as Hooker. So, uh, you know, that's William Shatner's relationships with his co-stars, William Shatner, the, the imitations, the, the acting. I, I, I actually, I do. I think he's a good actor. I think he's, he much more in his older age became a good actor. And a lot of that I say because of Boston legal, because he was just fantastic on that show. He, he had a Shatner thing where he'd always say his own name, Denny Crane, but he would also just have these very serious moments. And he had like, uh, early Alzheimer's and just, it was, I think he was nominated for fucking Emmys for that show. William Shatner nominated for Emmys. So that's, that's that. There's one other thing actually just to, because I feel like I've kind of ripped on the cast for not liking him. Um, there is plenty of blame to be placed on Shatner and I'm sure most of it. And I'll, and I'll give you an example. That's actually rather sad. Him and Leonard Nimoy, throughout all of this were friends they had a there's a there's a dvd that they made called mind meld where they just fucking sit in leonard nimoy's backyard for like two hours and talk and it's just it's fantastic it's it's i keep saying that word but it's great it's good it's enjoyable it's 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 really fascinating to use spock's word just to hear these two guys talking about being on Star Trek and then they get very deep into their own personal lives. Leonard Nimoy talks about his alcoholism. William Shatner talks about his wife that died. It's very, it's deep and it's great. And at the end, they talk about how they're best friends and their brothers and stuff. But I guess what happened years later is that uh, William Shatner was doing another one of his projects where he has to make a documentary about something. And I think he's making a documentary about going into space too, because... God forbid he just do something. But so he was he was making a documentary about conventions and he wanted to show Leonard Nimoy at a convention talking. And Leonard Nimoy said, I, I don't I don't want to do that. It's reserved for the convention audiences. It's like, you know, you're there and you see it. I, I don't want to have it recorded and all that. Please just leave me out of it. And Shatner just used it anyway. He just filmed Leonard Nimoy at a convention and put it in his documentary. And Apparently Leonard Nimoy very upset by that and never spoke to him again. And he died. William Shatner said he reached out to him. Yeah, let, let the man speak for himself. You and Leonard <laughs> had a falling out later in life. And actually, you didn't speak to him in the final years of his life. You said the feud is something I still wonder about and regret Forever. Now, you never found out well, what it, happened. Well, it, so... it wasn't a feud. He just, yeah, uh, just stopped, stopped talking to me and I didn't. I didn't know why, and uh, I wrote a note to him. I uh, heard that he was uh, dying, and and I never got any response to it. And uh, so, must, so this dear, dear friend of mine 
went to his death, and I don't know why we didn't, why I couldn't comfort him in his last moments. Does that question keep going around and around in your head? Yeah. So that's that's a sad thing, but but here's here's what really kind of makes me sick to my stomach about that is that in that interview that I just played a clip from, he was promoting a book that he wrote about Leonard Nimoy. And I have looked, hoping, hoping that when he wrote this book, that maybe all the proceeds went to like a Leonard Nimoy ch fucking charity foundation or something. <clears throat> they didn't. He just wrote a book and collected a check on his dead former friend who didn't want to fucking talk to him anymore because he used he used him without his permission and then he goes and writes a fucking biography of him and takes the money after he's dead this is the kind of thing that this opportunistic egomaniacal probably narcissistic shit this is what makes his cast members and stuff hate him now, yes, they get a little piece of fucking fame and the spotlight and they get to be uh, on clickbait articles and stuff for it so they can make themselves relevant. George Takei made a, you know, he, he used the, his hatred of William Shatner as almost like a, a catapult to, to uh, come out of the closet and make it a big deal. Whereas if that had never happened, it would have been like, oh, did you hear that the guy from Star Trek was gay? No, oh, I didn't see that. Oh, he is. Okay. But instead, it was like this big deal, and he had his, his wedding and, and had everyone from Star Trek there except William Shatner. Said that the invitation got lost in the mail. Uh, but nevertheless, that, that Leonard Nimoy story, it, it, it always makes me sad because it's, it really does go to show someone who is just no regard for it, someone else's wishes, right? Now, apparently he did get the blessing of Leonard Nimoy's kids and stuff to write that book. So at least it wasn't like they were like, please don't write that bill. Please don't. And then he did anyway. He at least had that. And, you know, they did have a touching friendship for a long time. So I, I guess I can kind of comfort myself and possibly you with adding those two elements to it. Uh, but he did that. He did that. He fucked over Nimoy. I think Nimoy probably overreacting to not talk to the guy that he called a brother for the rest of his life because he put him in a fucking documentary on a stage talking about being on Star Trek. Isn't exactly like the biggest exploitation of someone's privacy that I've ever heard of. So there's that. Now let's lighten that up. Let's lighten it up. Let's get to something else. That's my. This is my single favorite William Shatner story. So after. At the end of Star Trek, William Shatner was getting one of his many divorces. As a matter of fact, he just divorced, like, probably within the last couple of years, his God knows what wife. And part of the settlement was that he got all this horse sperm. It's true. It was it, like, and not, and not to cure COVID horse sperm or whatever that shit is. This was like actual horse sperm from his prize-winning horses that he wanted to make sure that he kept because they both raced horses, but he wanted to get like the good sperm for the good horses, and that was part of the settlement. That's absolutely true. But that was, you know, most recent divorce. Going back to his first divorce decades before, first of many, he, uh, his wife sued him for 
what they called projected earnings. And this was when Star Trek was on the air. So his alimony and child support decided by a judge in California was, of course, was projected to be what he would make if Star Trek continued. But then Star Trek got canceled and, but that order was still in place and it couldn't be changed. So he had to pay alimony and child support based on, now child support's one thing, but alimony, he had to pay this out based on money that he wasn't making because the fucking show wasn't on the air anymore. So what he did was he went and got, and got this like little trailer, this tiny little trailer, like not like, you know, a big fucking trailer park, trailer home that you can drive around, but like the, like a tiny, it's like a glorified truck with like a, a canopy thing on it. And he joined a traveling summer stock theater company and, and they traveled around the country doing plays because let's not forget that William Shatner, a Shakespearean trained actor, theatrical background, theatrically trained. But anyway, so he's going around the country doing these plays, living in this fucking tin can because he couldn't afford hotels or anything so that he could pay out his, his supposed Star Trek money that wasn't, didn't exist. And then, and he's missing the shit out of his kids as one does. So he can't wait to get home to see his kids. And he's, he's, you know, he's done his work. He's, he's slept in his little fucking truck and he's coming home finally from the end of the summer, the end of the summer tour, waiting on his next gig. And his agent calls him and says, Hey, the Kennedys, the Kennedys. And back then, a lot of, back then, a lot of them were alive. Uh, they want you to come to this thing because they love you and they love Star Trek. And he said, I can't, I got, I got to see my kids. You know, I've been doing this, living in this fucking rusty thing all summer, sweating in parking lots of theaters. I just, I want to see my kids. I, I can't, I'm sorry. Please tell them that I respect them and like them, but I, I have to decline. And he's, and he's going, he's traveling cross country, you know, drinking fucking coffee and shit, driving this little tin can. And, and his agent, every time he stops, he calls his agent and say like, yeah, is there another job for me? Cause I got to pay all this child support. And he said, no, but that Kennedy thing, remember I was telling you about the Kennedys. They, they're, they're really saying that they'll, you know, they'll fly a private jet out for you if you need, you know, then you can take the jet back to California. He's like, yeah, that's going to still, it's going to eat two days off this whole thing that I'm not going to see my kids. So please enough with the Kennedys. And, uh, eventually after a couple more of these, these beggings to go see the Kennedys, he gets home and his kids have gone to a slumber party and they're not going to be back until like two days later. So he could have gone, met the Kennedys, hung out, a little publicity for himself. <clears throat> but, uh, now as kids do, they went to a slumber party and, uh, you know, his wife didn't tell him or whatever, or they didn't tell him. I don't, I don't, I'm not going to get in the middle of it. I, I take it back. I don't know. I wasn't there. I don't even know if he lived in a tin can. There's no pictures. Okay. Forget about what I said about the wife. It's not me being bitter because I'm a divorced single dad at all. It has nothing to do with that. That I would ever assume that someone else was at fault. <laughs> Woo. Am I going to edit that out? No, I'm not. I don't care. Uh, so that's that, that, that's the living in the tin can story that I'm, that I'm a huge fan of. Um, another thing about him and the other actors is that there, there's two great stories about this. One is 
that he directed Star Trek V. And Leonard Nimoy had directed Star Trek III and Star Trek IV, and everyone loved him, and he did a great job. Those are good movies. And then, so it was like, Shatner's like, well, now it's my turn to direct. So he directed Star Trek V, which is universally agreed upon to be a shitty movie. It's just, it, it's just, it's, it, the special effects are garbage. Like he, like they didn't know what to, to, who to hire or something. He's even said that. And that's, I mean, that's just the, the tip of the iceberg. The story's weird. Spock has a brother all of a sudden. It just, it, the characters act, everybody acts all out of character. It's like the fucking last Jedi of Star Trek movies. It's not because it didn't make everyone hate Star Trek for the rest of their life, but it's, it's not good. And it was, it was directed by him, but all the cast were terrified of him directing it because they thought, God, if he's half as bad as he is as an actor, as a director, I mean, this is going to be fucking terror. And apparently George Takei at that's when he first started voicing his dislike of Shatner was like, I'm not, I don't want to be in this movie. It's just, it's not, you know, it's just going to be all Shatner and Shatner had to like beg him to be on. So he came in and he did the movie and, uh, William Shatner. And I don't know why they did this, but they had like a press briefing where they were all after they finished production where they were all in uniform on the set of the enterprise and William Shatner goes around and introduces everyone. And I want to play you the clip of what happens when he gets to Walter Koenig. Michelle Nichols. My pleasure, Admiral Captain. And uh, the gentleman who plays Chekhov. Walter Koenig. That, 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 that is some fucked up shit, man. I, you know, and, and God bless Walter Koenig for enduring that in public and then still having the balls to go on Shatner's TV show and say, look, here's the thing. And even mentions, alludes to that at one point in that interview. So, but again, there, there is another example of, of why there's that animosity towards William Shatner right there. Can't even remember <laughs> fucking actor's name that he's been working with for like 25 years and just directed it's one thing to say like well hey you know what walter koenig probably came to the set like once a week because he's not a major character and maybe you know shatner just just yeah he he missed it he missed the ball but like he just directed the movie it's not like this was just walter koenig some random reunion so yeah there's there's that and this last one um, and then we'll, we'll talk about him going into space again for a second. This is him. This is on a, I don't know why they put that fucking thing that I just played you on a, on a Star Trek five DVD as like a bonus feature. I don't know why they would do that. It's humiliating. They also put this on, I think the Star Trek four DVD. It's an interview that they were doing with Shatner, like unedited, you know, like I'm sure they used a couple of the, of the quotes for some story on entertainment tonight or whatever but they have the whole unedited interview and he's such a fucking dismissive prick the whole time but i want to play you this just this little tiny clip where the guy asks him about it sort of being an ensemble movie which star trek 4 was more than any other episode or anything of star trek original series star trek 4 had more of the other characters in it than anything else ever did and this is what shatner thinks about that 
for a group of people to get together uh, every couple of years and uh, play some scenes together is not conducive to an ensemble piece as against uh, the theaters, uh, the National Theatre in England, for example, uh, where the company lives together and plays great pieces of work together. That's ensemble playing. All right, all right. Enough, enough beating the man up, okay? Let's, let's talk about... Well, the tin can story, the, the truck, wasn't actually a tin can. It was a truck that he lived in. That's not ripping on him. That's, he tells that story. It's, it's a funny story. But let's talk about, let's wrap this up where it started, and that is him going into space. And uh, I'm going to play this clip where he was talking to Anderson Cooper. Now, it's, it's not political. Don't Just don't attach the politics to Anderson Cooper's name, please. I talk about Tucker Carlson on the show. I talk about anyone in the media. If, they, if, it, if it comes into play in a subject that I'm talking about. So okay, just never mind that it's him. But William Shatner is being so William Shatner that Anderson Cooper can't even like like interview him anymore. He's just laughing the whole time. So let's enjoy that. Yeah. It's it's really no, powerful. No. I know. And and things like that go up and boom in the night and it's, it's a little scary, i got to tell yeah. you. Some people made fun of the way the rocket looks, but I think it's cool. I like it. I, I think the, the weightless thing, I think, would be fun. Well, no, there's nothing to be, uh, nothing to, to, to make fun of. We're inseminating the, uh, the, the space program. That is. <laughs> you know what? I, I threw that out there. I didn't know if you were going to pick up on it, and you did, and I, I, love, well, you, I love you for it. Well, leave it to you to throw it out there for somebody else to pick it up. <laughs> well, it certainly does look, when they say insertion, uh, yeah. do they really mean insertion? Uh, yeah. Um, I, I am, I'm looking forward to the whole thing. I've been there. Uh, I was there last week. Rehearsing, uh, whatever they call it. A training, and, I think, is what they call it. But, you know, rehearsing oh, oh, training. works. <laughs> I think of it as rehearsal. <laughs> I want to go warp speed. They take me to warp speed. And, and they say, what? Um, and, and the weightlessness absolutely uh, is entrancing. Yeah. I mean, imagine being weightless. Uh, and you're thin enough, but I'm not. Imagine being weightless and staring into that blackness and seeing the earth. And that's what I want to absorb. That's what I want to it see. It goes firsthand. by fast, though, you know, I mean, because they, on their flight, though, on Bezos's flight, you know, they were throwing Skittles at each other and catching and stuff, and it looked like a lot of fun. I think I'd be, I mean, I would want to be staring out the window the whole time while Blue. I'm floating. I want to press my nose up against the plastic <laughs> window. What I don't want to see is somebody else out there looking back at me. No, no, we don't, we, we don't want that one. <laughs> oh, my God, that's really funny. Because not only will I look at the majesty of space and the oasis of Earth, but isn't there a possibility that things fly by, as we've seen on cameras? Yeah. It's, what are those? It's, What's it's, the explanation of that? It's possible you could be grabbed and probed by some alien life form and then return to Earth and have a vague memory of it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, being probed by an alien. <laughs> God, I hope they don't be in that whole spaceship. <laughs> you just got probed, sir. Uh, thank you. <laughs>
Um, so uh, I hope. Uh, well, and, I hope I can question, talk to you when you come but, back. But, but, but before you before you do that, the, the question I have to ask yeah. is, sir, as he's, he's advancing, uh, as he or she or is advancing on me, my question is, what are you probing for? <laughs> That's a good question. Do you actually yeah, believe? Yeah. So I've I've now kind of I mean, I'm freaked out by all these videos we've seen of strange. I've interviewed some of the pilots who have seen these things. I kind of I now I'm a believer. I'm freaked out, man. Or, or do you believe, I am. Do you believe that there is um, some sort of other life form from a, some other galaxy or or well, wait a minute. is you've this asked, just like a drone? You've, a, a you've asked a complex question in a not very well, uh, well phrased way. But, yes, I appreciate I it. have seen. Not firsthand, because all our knowledge comes secondhand, except me seeing space. And, but I, I have been told by the guy who saw it that there are uh, extremophiles living in 600 degrees Fahrenheit water and sulfur 30 uh, feet below the ocean and, and in sulfur. And, and they're alive, these worms and these clams. Wow. Okay? So will I, will, are these UFOs being piloted? By worms and clams? I don't know. <laughs> People are talking about it. But it could be. I uh, know, but they're unidentified. That's for sure. Who's <laughs> flying them? Well, that's the question. I love that you said that. All our knowledge is secondhand. <laughs> I think. Well, it's... it is. Somebody says you two, two plus two is four. Yeah. Okay. Thank you, sir. Two plus two is four. So that's William Shatner. He's going into space sort of again upper atmosphere weightlessness is it going to be like space dark once he gets up there my understanding from what i've looked up is that it's sort of like if you've seen iron man the first iron man when he goes up like super high and he's testing out a suit and the sky starts to sort of break into space like the blue sky starts to become stars and stuff like that i think from what i understand that's about as far as they're going, which is far enough to achieve weightlessness and far enough to see space, but not be in space. Nevertheless, good for him, you know, because after all of what I've said bad about him and all that I've said good about him, he's fucking Captain Kirk and he's 10,000 years old and he should go to space alive. Unlike so many other Star Trek alumni who have gone to space in ash form, shot out into space. Ashes. Ashes we began, to ashes we will return. Like they say in the uh, Midnight Mass. So, all right, let's close this up with some alien talk, because it's, you know, it's been a while since we talked about anything alien-related again that's not have to do with them hanging out by nuclear sites and stuff. Let's talk about aliens on the moon. Back when Galileo first looked up into the sky with his uh, spyglass or whatever the fuck they called it back then. He, you know, he modified it so that he could see the stars and planets and everything. And he saw the moon. And from that very first time, he saw aliens crawling. <laughs> he didn't see aliens crawling all over it, but he saw the moon. And what they thought the moon was at the time was like a, like a perfect, smooth, white marble so they just assumed it was because that's what it looks like in the light but they knew it was round at least um but they thought it was like a smooth marble and 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 he looked at it and he said no, no, no there's there's craters and stuff all over the moon and so you know that's how we we found out that there there are craters on the moon and everything. 
fast forward hundreds of years, and now many of those craters, or at least some of them, are thought to actually be bases. And a lot of what this comes from is, you know, people wanting to think that there's aliens on the moon, A, obviously, there's that. So people are looking for stuff like the face on Mars and everything. But then there's also the fact that when NASA, when the moon landing happened, let's assume that it was real. Because, it, you know, I think it, it probably was. But just, hey, you know, there's always room for that discussion too. But let's just say, okay, moon landing's real. They go to the moon. But the, the frame rate of the cameras, they couldn't, uh, I'm sure most of you know this story, especially if you follow aliens and stuff, but they couldn't uh, broadcast directly, like moon footage directly to people's televisions. So they had to take a television camera and film the monitor at NASA and broadcast that, which is why it looks the way it does. Only years later were they able to get some of the high-res original, I mean, it wasn't you know, high-res to them, not to us, but high-res for the time, and, and be able to show some of that. And most of that was apparently recorded over. Like, they, they just reused those tapes for something else at some point, and they didn't save it because they figured, well, it's already been broadcast and stuff. Like, what do we need it for? initially it was thought that they were lost and then it was almost confirmed or has been confirmed that they actually just recorded over the the tape that they used to shoot the fucking moon landing and so there's like hours and hours and hours of it that doesn't exist it no longer exists and so that has fueled speculation that there was something else going on that they couldn't show us. And so they had to destroy that footage or hide it in the box with the Roswell stuff or whatever. But that, that happened. There, there's hours of moon footage that never seen the light of day because they fucking taped over it. Just the way one would have taped over their favorite sitcom with the next episode of their favorite sitcom in the fucking 80s. That's what they did. But all was not lost because in 2019, when they were going to celebrate the, the 50th anniversary of the moon landing, NASA did find 19 minutes of footage of the astronauts actually looking for life. Now, it wasn't them like looking around rocks for gray aliens, but like, you know, digging in dirt and looking at organisms, looking for anything that might be a life form on the moon. So they, they did release that. You can actually go look at it at NASA's website. It's you know nothing special about it, but they did, they did at least find that. Um, anything else that may have been aliens uh, threatening the astronauts, things like that, taped over it, supposedly. Taped over that. So that has fueled much speculation. But high-resolution images that come from the moon, as they get better and better, over the years have fueled more and more and more photographic analysis by, you know, so-called specialists to show that there is life on the moon, that there's bases on the moon. Very recently, within the last few months, and this is what actually got this idea a cooking in my mind again, there is a scientist named James Benford proposed, and this was picked up by like Forbes and stuff. He's a real scientist. He's the real deal. 
has proposed uh, a project for actually looking for uh, signs of aliens on the moon, like alien artifacts and stuff. But basically what he wants to do is he's creating a something like SETI, Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence, but his would be SETA, Search for Extraterrestrial Artifacts. I propose a version of the Drake Equation to include searching for alien artifacts which may be located on the moon, Earth Trojans, and Earth co-orbital objects. The virtue of searching for artifacts is their lingering endurance in space long after they go dead. Much like having your body floating through space or the, or the cast of Star Trek, their ashes. I compare a search for extraterrestrial artifacts, SETA, strategy with the existing, existing listening to stars search for extraterrestrial intelligence, SETI strategy. So, he actually wants to look for some shit on the moon and uh, other orbital objects that are floating around Earth. And uh, I, I, think that, I think that's very exciting. And I think that that type of continued alien exploration. I mean, SETI does what it does, right? They're just going to keep fucking listening. Seth Shostak, our buddy, will continue to do that and, and has continued to do that. They've, they've come up basically snake eyes. And even when something does happen, he says it's nothing. So, you know, I'm but hey, good, good for him to keep doing it because it, somebody should do it. Anything where we're looking is to me a good thing. So this guy looking for artifacts also a good thing. Now, in terms of people having actually seen an alien on on the moon, there's this myth that Buzz Aldrin, one of the first people to go on the moon, said that they saw aliens on the moon, and, and he did not. So let me please clarify what he did and did not say. Recently, or I guess it was a few years ago, like 2014, this thing started floating around Facebook and it was one of those fucking goddamn pictures of someone with a quote next to it that just someone made up. And in a lot of the posts, the, the, the picture wasn't even of Buzz Aldrin, but it was a quote from Buzz Aldrin supposedly talking about seeing alien shit on the moon. And so uh, Buzz Aldrin cleared this up in 2014. He did one of those ask me anythings on Reddit and, uh, from an article that was on uh, Reuters. It says, uh, in a 2014 Ask Me Anything discussion hosted by Aldrin on Reddit, former astronaut answered a user's question, do you believe in aliens and what are the sightings you saw aboard Apollo 11? With a description of a light out the window that appeared to be moving alongside us. Which I think that, that was actually true. But what the thing he said on Facebook was something just like, there were aliens on the moon and we saw them. There's something ludicrous, but everyone believed it because it was on the internet and especially it was on Facebook, which there's no lie has ever been told. Uh, so his answer to that was there were many explanations of what it could be other than spacecraft from another country or world. It was either the rocket we had separated from or the four panels that moved away when we extracted the lander from the rocket and we were nose to nose with the two spacecraft. He then stated that when the mission returned to Earth, we were debriefed and explained exactly what we had observed. The sun reflected off one of the panels. Not knowing that the public was not aware of this information, Aldrin explained, he described the observations many years later in a telephone interview. Aldrin wrote on Reddit then that the UFO people in the United States were very, very, very angry with him for allegedly withholding the information, even though what he observed was, quote, not aliens. So there's, there's a lot of, uh, of little stories that 
astronauts have said, you know, they've seen this or they've seen that flickering things that people have taken to say astronauts, you know, take the Navy pilots, for example, like the Navy pilots have said, I have seen these fucking UFO things floating around and I don't know what they are. And then the, the Pentagon says, yes, and we don't know what they are. And then there's the astronaut saying, well, there was like light particles and debris and that we're, you know, we're not sure exactly what that stuff was, but, and then people saying that that proves aliens on the moon or aliens that are hanging out right there, which that they, they really have never done that. There's never really been like a full on certified bona fide astronaut that said, there's aliens on the moon. The one thing we do have from the astronaut community is Edgar Mitchell. And we will leave it with Edgar Mitchell because he has been a fervent supporter of looking for aliens, being, you know, the possibility of aliens, the possibility of aliens visiting Earth or even having something to do with the moon. He is the one guy that, uh, as UFO enthusiasts, we can cling to. He's, he's our guy. Edgar Mitchell. So we will leave it with him since the other astronauts really, it, it really does come from like a game of telephone where someone tells something, someone and someone tells someone something and they tell someone something. And then all of a sudden Buzz Aldrin was attacked by a fucking gray alien. None of that, but we do have Edgar Mitchell. So Edgar, please give us some hope that there's aliens in general and possibly even to do with the moon. Dr. Mitchell? I, I have a quick question right out the gate. You can explain to me some of the stronger evidence to support the fact that UFOs sure. are real. Okay. Being in the military and an aviator for many years, uh, I knew that pilots all over the world, uh, military pilots, airline pilots, encounter them all the time. Because I grew up in Roswell, I know most of the predominant investigators in the UFO field because um, of those Roswell connections. And so I have no doubts about it now. Did your opinion change of um, UFOs before you went up? I hadn't, no. I had no, no thoughts about it then. No knowledge of it, uh, except for the fact that I knew of the Roswell incident because I lived there at the time. What we're hearing is, is you know, kind of some sort of UFO observation of perhaps our space program and, yeah. and, and, and NASA, uh, you know, launches. Is, is that something that you're aware of as well? Yeah. I would not be surprised if we are under surveillance by alien visitors. I think they're interested in everything that we're doing. What do you think, you know, these visitors are, are doing here around us and around, you know, these launch sites? I think just observing our progress, they're looking to see what is taking place on this planet. Thank you, sir. I salute you. I thank you for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. And uh, again, if you didn't, well, there's another one coming in a couple of weeks. Halloween. Halloween episode. Thank you. Good to talk to you again. Cue the hot chick. Pop Talk and Aliens, the William Clear Podcast.